we will notice that the central theme around our two hymns this evening have been that of the Lordship of Christ, the centrality of Christ. And that's exactly where we're headed this evening as we consider this golden lampstand. We're turning to Exodus, please, in the chapter 25. Exodus in the chapter 25, and we're going to read from the verse 31 uh, through to the verse 40, and then we'll have another reading in the New Testament. We're going to spend much time in that reading in the New Testament this evening, and that will become clear in a wee moment. We're thinking on the golden lampstand this evening, the golden lampstand, and we're reading about it here in Exodus chapter 25 and the verse 31. And this is the word of the Lord. And it reads, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls and noops and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Six branches of the candlestick out of, or six, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls uh, made like unto almonds with a noop and a flower, uh, one branch and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a noop and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall uh, be four bowls made like unto almonds with their noops and their flowers. And there shall be a noop under two branches of the same, and a noop under two branches of the same, and a noop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their noops and their branches shall be the same, and it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it, and the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. One very short reading, please, found in the book of Galatians. Galatians in chapter 2, and the verse 19 and 20. We're going to be spending a good bit of our time in these top couple of verses this evening because they really do act as a commentary uh, to uh, what we're going to be focusing on uh, in particular in this golden lampstand this evening. Galatians chapter 2 and the verses 19 and 20. You'll know these verses well. It's Paul writing, of course, and he writes, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, as we continue our journey through the tabernacle, I feel... It's always good to recap on the little journey that we've taken along with our Israelite to start with. Of course, our Israelite who had sinned would have came from the camp roundabout and he would have came with his little lamb and he would have marched round the side part of the courtyard, which was, of course, white sheets reminding us of the purity of our God. And 
he would have came to this gate here, which was the east gate. Of course, that was the only point of entry. Uh, it was the one way into the courtyard, clearly reminding us and teaching us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only door or gate, if you like, to salvation. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ declared, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. And of course, then we went on to consider the altar of sacrifice, uh, where the lamb would have been sacrificed at the altar, where the fire continually burned, reminding us of that constant judgment of our God against sin. And of course, the sacrifice of the lamb showed the Israelite how serious sin is. And they would see their sin was costly as that little lamb was sacrificed. And of course, that reminds us as the children of God of our Savior, whom John the Baptist rightly stated is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Then, of course, we continued in our journey along with the priest and we came up to the labor just here. And of course, this was the place where the priest would have washed his hands and his feet before going into the holy place. This was of extreme importance. If the priest got his journey into the tabernacle wrong, he was a dead man. That's how important purity is to our God. We're talking about the child of God when we come to the labor. And we considered how it's a picture of the importance of God's word. And how as we read God's word, it cleanses our mind. We wash with the water of the word of God. It cleanses our hands. It cleanses our feet as we travel through this sinful world. And as this sinful world seeks to contaminate us as Christians, we ought to be often going to the word of God for that fresh cleansing each day. We, we finished our last study uh, considering the altar of incense. Of course, the gate or the door to the tabernacle, the tent would have been here, and the priest would have been able to walk in and hear our priests praying on behalf of the nation. And there, that incense that rose, reminding us of the prayers of the saints, that golden altar of incense that we considered last time. Of course, we thought of that fragrance that we now pray with being in the name of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't pray in his name, we might as well just talk to one another about our problems. There's no power in our praying unless we're praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is almighty and his name is powerful. And of course, we were reminded too, as we considered that golden altar of incense, how there was that golden crown that sat on the, the golden altar as part of it. And of course, that reminded us of a saviour who is his, his humanity in heaven is now crowned with his deity as he stands the almighty God and he makes intercession for you and for me. How lovely to know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and prays for you. Now this week we're coming to consider uh, the golden lampstand. Uh, you will hopefully remember that we've now, so we've entered into the holy place and this is the holy place, this part here. And then, of course, in a few weeks' time, we'll enter into the Holy of Holies. But we're spending some time here. And tonight, we come to the golden lampstand, which just sat here as you step through the door on the left-hand side of the priest as he came into the holy place, just inside the first curtain in the tent. And of course, we've considered the altar of incense. Now, we consider the golden lampstand. If you'll notice in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 31, 
that it's described as a candlestick. And that may have been an accurate translation back when the King James Version was translated, but I feel personally that it's better to call it a lampstand, as a candlestick would give you the imagery of maybe a wax candle, and that isn't involved here at all. So we're calling it what we it's more commonly known as, which is the golden lampstand. And let's quickly consider what that golden lampstand may have looked like. It was hammered out of one piece of gold. Warren Wearsby suggests it would have been about 75 pounds of pure gold. Now note that this piece of furniture, there's no shatim wood involved in it at all. And this was made out of pure gold. A lot of the other items in the tabernacle, it was made out of shatim wood and then coated in gold. This is made out of pure gold. No wood involved in this golden lampstand at all. And it was hammered out from one piece by a skilled craftsman. And we don't read of its dimensions in scripture at all. So there's many artistic interpretations of what the candlestick may have looked like. And on the screen is just one of those interpretations. But what we do know, it, it, it was most undoubtedly a beautiful piece of art with six branches decorated with almond flowers and buds and blossoms. And we know that there would have been the base and then the central shaft up the middle and then the six branches that came out the side of it. Uh, practically, the lampstand, it was the only source of light in the holy place of the tabernacle as no natural light was able to get in from the outside. So without this lamp, uh, the priests would not have been able to carry out their various ministries. Without this burning lamp, their ministries would have been dead. Without this lamp, their ministries would have been impossible to do. Therefore, these seven lamps were to burn continuously, and the priest's duty was to continuously feed these lamps with oil. And the golden lampstand, it's one of the most expensive pieces of furniture you'll find in the tabernacle made of pure gold. You know what? It does paint a picture of Christ. First of all, you can think of that light that it's shown. I want to tell you something. Your ministry would be dead unless Christ was at the center of it. And as that priest entered into that room, without the light, he couldn't perform his duties. And we're going to learn a number of images that the golden lampstand shows us. And we're going to take a couple of weeks to consider the golden lampstand because there's such beautiful lessons that we can learn from it. And the first lesson that we can learn, and this will be the only thing we focus on this evening, believe it or not, I have a few sub-points. But the first thing we see in the golden lampstand is we see Christ and man. We see Christ and man. You see, that central shaft that you can see that ran right up the center, it reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there were these six branches that came out of the central shaft. And the number six in the Bible is the number that represents man. Man was created on the sixth day of creation. There are six different words in the Bible used for man. Four in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament. And these six branches, they were beaten out of the main shaft that ran up the middle. And the central shaft that should remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's as simple as this. The central part of all Christianity is the Lord Jesus Christ. I was listening to someone preaching recently. And they put it this way. They said Christianity 
is all about Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is to be the center part of our worship. He's to be the center part of all aspects of our lives. Uh, we are to place him on his rightful throne in our lives. We have sang this evening, Jesus is Lord. Creation's voice proclaims it. I wonder in our lives, so easy to sing. I wonder in our lives, do we say in the way we live, in how we speak, in how we interact with others, do our lives say that Jesus is Lord? Let me ask you, is Christ on his rightful throne in your life? Will I hear you say, well, Peter, yes, I do everything I'm supposed to do. I attend the meetings. I'm here at both services on the Lord's Day. I'm sat here most Wednesday evenings. I even sometimes offer a prayer in the prayer meeting. But dear brothers and sisters, I don't want you to miss my point here. I know how we should desire to be at the meetings when God's people are together, but it ought not to be out of legalism. Your attitude shouldn't be, Oh, I have to be at the prayer meeting because that's where I should be. Instead, your attitude should be, I want to be at the prayer meeting. I want to be where God's people are because that's where I fellowship with his people. That's where I'm encouraged. That's where I meet with the living God. Do you know one of the biggest problems with the, whole, with the church as a whole in our country is that of legalism. And by legalism, I mean it's just following rules with a hard heart and a lack of love. When you love the Lord more than anything, you'll want to please him. And this leads to obedience to God's word and a desire to be at the meetings and a desire to meet with God's people, not out of a sense of duty, but because you love the Lord. After all, didn't he say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments listen law without love is legalism but if you love you will obey the law i'll say that again law without love is legalism but if you love you will obey god's law you know being legalistic is idolatry maybe your idol is something else Maybe it's some sport that you watch lots. Maybe Sky Sports or BT Sport needs to be deleted from your TV in order to allow you to focus on the Lord. Too many, too many, especially among the men, too many of us will sit and watch Champions League games and watch all these sports and the golf and things when it's on. There's no harm in that. But so often they become our God and become our idol. I wonder, is your idol loyalty to an organization outside the church? Maybe your idol could be your family. And yet the best way to look out for your family is to place Christ at the center. It could be your service for the Lord. That could be your idol. You could be proud of the position you hold, the leadership of that particular work that you do in the church. You could pride yourself in that. You see, it, you can become so legalistic in your outlook as you come to worship here in this place, that Christ loses his central point. And it becomes idolatry. And it becomes that Christ is taken off his throne in your life and you place something else on that throne. 
You see, honestly, what happens is legalism leads to idolatry, which leads to dead religion, not Christianity. And if a, a dead religion and if all this goes on within the churches, it leads to dead churches, it leads to dead prayer meetings. And the sad reality is these days some people that we place in leadership and in pastoral positions in different places and different churches, they're not fit for purpose because they're not called of God. And they don't have Christ at the center of their lives. There's people that we put into leaderships and different parts of the work in different churches. And they're not fit for purpose because they're not men and women of God and men and women of prayer. They're there for their position. And that's their idol. Let me put this in plain English this evening. Let me put this straight and get straight to the heart of it. If you're involved in the work here in our local assembly, the Sunday school, the joy club, the youth, the women's meeting, the men's meeting, all the rest, whether you lead the work or whether you're on a committee or whether you're a teacher, if you don't have a desire to be praying and out at the prayer meetings to pray for these people, these children, these young people that you're working with, well then I believe that Christ isn't central and you aren't fit for the position you're in you should have a desire to be at the prayer meeting prayerfully and praying specifically for names for salvation for the children for the young people or that person that comes along to the men or women's fellowship that they would come to Christ or if they're going through a tough time that they would be encouraged and that they would come through that they would burn for Christ Listen, if we want to see God moving in these days, we need to start with ourselves and we need to genuinely ask the question, as the children of God, is Christ centre in my life? And if he's centre in my life, does that cause me to do the role that he's caused me to do as the, to the best of my ability, not for my name and my glory and for me to be seen, but for Christ to be glorified in what I do for him? Now let me make something clear because you, you could very easily misinterpret what I'm saying tonight. When I talk about being out at the prayer meetings and praying for these people and being out at the meetings, I'm not talking about that you have to be out every single week, but normally it's a good sign. It's a good sign when you have a desire to be out and praying and out and putting your ministry that you're involved in before the Lord in prayer. It's important not just to be doing it publicly, by the way. It's important to be doing it privately. Because that speaks of character. I'm not asking you to be out of the prayer meetings and praying like the Pharisees do. That's not what I'm asking. But so often in my, uh, my very short time on this earth, when I've looked around and grown up and looked around prayer meetings, quite often that's where I saw the men and women of God. And it's where I learned how to pray. And it's where I learned how I should serve the Lord. If we want to see God moving in these days, we need to be men and women who are in our private, quiet times on our knees, but also out at the church meetings on our knees as well, praying that the Lord would move in this church, pleading that the Lord would move among our assembly. I wonder as an assembly, do we need to ask, is Christ central to our church life? Or are we just organising activity? I wonder what our golden calf is. Sometimes we ask the question when we read that story in the Israelites, how on earth did they manage to do that? When the reality is we ourselves could be worshipping our very own version of the golden calf. You see, Christ is where it all starts. If Christ isn't central, we are lost. 
Let's think about these verses that we read in Galatians 2 as we think of the centrality of Christ. For Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 19, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Paul says I'm done with legalism. And Paul says I'm done with playing church. I'm done with dead religion. Paul says, I'm done with myself and all my desires. I'm crucifying Paul with Christ. And the first thing we see Paul do is he detaches himself. He detaches himself from this legalistic religion that he's been living. And we firstly see detachment. You see, I want you to see that Paul, he wanted to get rid of all the things that would keep Christ from being central. Now remember, we're thinking about this golden lampstand and this central part which was representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're to make Christ central, we need to detach from the things that will keep us from Christ. What do you need to detach from this evening? Do you want to see God moving in a new way in our land? Well, let me tell you, there's no point in us sitting in prayer meetings and praying that God will revive our land unless we first ask the Lord to show us our sin as individuals. Maybe tonight we need to ask the Lord as we pray to show us where we're going wrong and ask him to help us detach from these things. You know, that doesn't mean that you go to the Lord and you say, well, Lord, I can see a number of pieces of rotten fruit in my life and I want you to deal with them. You see, you see, we could all point out some rotten pieces of fruit to the Lord. Oh Lord, here are the things that you need to deal with. If you can help me with this sin and this sin and this sin, these bad pieces of the fruit, Lord, I would be a much better Christian. And how you and I know that that will never work because we'll just keep running back to the Lord with the same old sins. Our prayer ought to be this, Lord, help me plant my roots deep in your word and not in the things I have been planting them in. Ask the Lord to take over the roots in your life. Then your fruit of your life will dramatically change. Then the Lord himself will help you detach the rotten fruit. And Christ will start to become central. Imagine if we as individuals started praying that prayer. What if we truly rooted our lives in the Lord? How different things would begin to look. Detachment. Paul says, I'm done with sin. I'm done with this legalism. I'm done with being so proud of myself and the work I do for God. He says, I want Christ to be central. I'm detaching myself from that sin. But that's not the only thing that he did. Because he goes on, and here's what he says in the first phrase of verse 20 of Galatians chapter 2. He says, I am crucified with Christ. If we're going to make Christ central, well, we need to dethrone ourselves. We need to dethrone ourselves. Paul says the desires of Paul and everything about him is crucified. I want rid of Paul. I want all of Christ. We're going to sing these words later. Jesus, our only joy be thy, as thy our price will be. Jesus be thy, our glory now and through eternity. Jesus, our only joy be thy. Not that we bring ourselves joy. 
but that our joy is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have thought about that recently in the book of, uh, of Philippians, as we have thought about how our relationship rejoiced in the Lord always, not that we rejoice in circumstances, but we can rejoice in any circumstances because our, of our relationship with God. You know, I think the church in our province has been going cold for years and years now. Even in my lifetime, I've seen prayer meetings in many places grow cold and grow dead. I remember the first prayer meetings I attended when I was younger. And the prayers, and as people prayed, the encouragements from brothers and sisters as they cried, Amen and Hallelujah, as others prayed. Where is that now? Where's that now? We sit in silence. People finish prayers and we just sit in silence as if they've said nothing. And you know, back in those days when I listened as a young man to people as they prayed along with their brothers and sisters in Christ and as they agreed with them and as they cried out hallelujah, when I listened to that, the prayer meeting was living and they really wanted to see Christ move. And you know, in those days I did see Christ move. I saw answers to prayer all the time. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you when I saw that, it made me want to pray with them. It taught me to pray. It made me want to ask the Lord to move in the church assembly that I grew up in. But I'll tell you the problem in these days is that in individual hearts, Christ is no longer on the throne. And therefore prayer meetings as collectives are dying. We need to dethrone anything that's going to take the place of Christ. And that includes ourselves. We'll find, we, we will find fullness of life. That's what Paul says. Nevertheless, he says, I live. I live when I get rid of myself from the throne of my life. And I put Christ there. All of a sudden, my life goes on fire for Christ. And then when, when the church collectively did, all of a sudden, you walk in and you realize that there's an atmosphere because Christ is central. I just worry for our land. That maybe we've allowed Christ to walk out of our prayer meetings and out of our lives. I'm talking about fellowship here. Not about salvation. Once saved, always saved. But it's my concern that we're so fond of ourselves. So fond of our name. Maybe even so proud to be part of Grange Baptist Church that we forget who's meant to be at the centre. We're not promoting a denomination. We're not even promoting our own church. Our business here below is to lift the name of the Lord Jesus Christ high. That's it. Maybe it is that tonight we, in our lives, aren't living in a way for Christ. Maybe we obey commands just in the flesh. Maybe trying to impress parents, trying to impress authority figures, church leaders, trying to impress a denomination. That's not how Christians are meant to live. I wonder, are we living personal faith-based relationships with the, in a personal faith-based relationship with the Lord? 
with God as your Abba Father through Jesus Christ his Son by abiding in him and walking in loving obedience to him and his word through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. There's a world of difference. Not just trying to live to please others, but living to please Christ with his help. Living with God as our Father through Christ the Son and abiding in Christ with the help of the Spirit of God. Massive difference. You know those six stems that came from the central part of the lampstand? It reminds us of man. And those six stems were dependent on that central part. That's the last thing I want to know this evening. Our dependency in the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 2 verse 20 goes on to say, In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dear brethren and sisters tonight, what are the signs that we're dependent on the Lord? Well, I believe it's an urgency in our prayer. It's an urgency in coming before the Lord and seeking his face through his word as individuals and as a church. An American pastor once said this, today we're living in desperate times. Do you agree with that? Because I do. Today we're living in desperate times. Do you know what he goes on to say, which was a challenge to my soul when I read it in the study? He says this, yet the church is not desperate before God in prayer. Today we're living in desperate times. Yet the church is not desperate before God in prayer. I want to tell you something. If that doesn't challenge your heart, it was like a spiritual punch to the middle of my chest when I read it. I was flattened. If anyone looks at the state of this world and of our lives in the light of scripture and church history, there's definitely something wrong. We're not living as the church with a sense of urgency for the lost anymore. And we're not living with radically devoted lives to God. You know, some of the bills that are sitting to be ready to be pushed through our government at the minute terrify me. But sometimes I think it would split the wheat from the chaff. If that really came through. There's so many laws that are ready to come through that persecution is just round the corner for the church in this country. And I pray that the Lord won't allow these things to come through. But sometimes I think it would make us get on our knees quicker if we only knew what's just round the corner. When the Lord Jesus prayed, he prayed like this. He said, thy kingdom come. They weren't words that were placid. But rather they were, it was a fervent prayer, desiring, desiring of God's kingdom to come, that many would be saved. And the words were just, were, were prayed, that, that not that it was just words to hear, but actually that it would happen and the reality of God's kingdom coming would move closer. You know, prior to the Welsh revival outbreak in 1904, God was moving and speaking to many hearts. And one of those hearts that were spoken to was a man called Joseph Jenkins. He was a pastor in Wales. And he'd been deeply concerned about the lack of anointing in his own preaching, which compelled him to desperately seek a deeper life in Christ. 
And Andrew Murray's book, With Christ in the School of Prayer, came into his possession and moved him greatly at that time. And he became increasingly burdened by the influence, by the indifference among Christians around him and the apathy of young people in his own church. And he exhorted them earnestly to obey the Spirit of God. And the preacher caught the urgency of the hour and he actually caught the condition of the church. He realized that the church, in a sense, was dying. And he had this burden and urgency that led to this outlet of prayer, praying earnestly for the moving of God's spirit and this hunger to pray for God working in the hearts and lives of the people around him. And he practiced it and he practiced it. And we need to get back to that today. Oh, for a praying church, not just on a Wednesday evening, but that we would be constantly in prayer, dependent in Christ alone. Urgent to see God move on behalf of men. It's nothing to do with me. You know, there's this challenging verse found in Ezekiel 22 verse 30. And it says this. It says, and I sought for a man among them. That they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me in the land. Where are the people who are praying for revival today? God says, and I was looking for a man to stand in the gap before me in the land. That I should not destroy it. Do you know what the verse says? But I find none. The apostles had a sense of urgency in their prayers. They experienced distresses and troubles and persecutions. And yet they prayed with an urgency to God. They prayed believing it was the last hour and the night was fast coming upon them. And I wonder, do you sense the urgency of the hour in these days? It says, as the, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. I want to tell you something, today's worse than the days of Noah. Because this world is now meddling with gender and meddling with all sorts of things that they should never touch. That they have no right to touch and they're playing with God's creation. How dare they? How dare they? As this land gets darker and darker by the minute. As the people around us start to get darker and darker, we need to be turning to Christ, the central shaft in our lives. Just like that golden lampstand. We need to turn and show our dependency in him. Not that we can go out there and make a difference, but praise God that Christ can send us out there and he will make the difference. That's it. Not that you and I are people that the Lord has even should use because we're just sinners saved by grace. But praise God, he chooses to use them. But don't you ever think that it's you. It's Christ that makes the difference. My prayer is that we will turn to Christ again in full dependency. That we would see the urgency of the hour. That we would dethrone ourselves and let him have his place back. That we would detach ourselves from the sins that, that hold us back. That hold the blessing back. And that indeed we would be dependent fully on the Lord for every moment and every minute. That we wouldn't just be at the meetings out of habit. Or at the meetings out of obligation. But now as we come to prayer in a few moments time that we would be earnest and, and we would be urgent in our prayer that, that we would seek for the Lord to have a dealing first of all with us and then to move in a mighty way in our area and in our land.
that the Lord would have his way in our land. That the Spirit of God would visit this church assembly in a new way. And that Christ would be seen as central to all that come in. This is only half the story of the lampstand. God willing, we'll return to it in a few weeks time. And we'll consider that oil which speaks of the work of the Spirit of God. That that would have burned constantly. And God willing, in the following two weeks after that. And we'll consider the table of showbread and the lessons that we learn from there. And then finally we'll walk into the holiest of holies. And we'll enter into where the mercy seat was. But let's consider our position with the Savior this evening. It's time to detach from those things that hinder our walk. To dethrone ourselves and die to self and enthrone Christ again. And to depend on him. And be urgent in prayer and fervent in prayer. I want to tell you something. I don't have all this together. So never think that I stand here and preach and think I've got all this together. I don't. I don't. Never put me in a pedal stool when I'm saying these things. Because most of the time I'm preaching to my own heart. And I'm preaching to my own soul. And I pray that the Spirit of God will bring our prayer meetings to life. That will be filled with amens and hallelujahs again from years gone by. That Christ would take central stage again. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. That I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me. And gave himself for me. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, oh God. You know already the challenge that these verses have been to my own heart. Father, you know that as a church fellowship we do desire to place Christ at centre. That indeed we wouldn't pay you lip service by singing that Jesus is Lord. But Father, we long indeed that Christ would be central in every work, everything that is done in this place. For Father, we don't promote ourselves. And we don't promote the name of this church or try and promote ourselves or lift ourselves up in any way because Father, that's absolutely pointless and useless when it comes to eternity. For we have realized in our lives that there's only one that makes the difference. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would see the Spirit of God moving in a new way. Here in this assembly. Here among your church at Grange. Father, as we 
pray for your church, of course. We don't just pray for ourselves tonight. We pray for our friends across the road. We pray that the Church of Christ here in Grange would make a difference. And that the people in the community around us would say that Christ is our all in all. That they, we, they would say that our mantra is that of Paul saying, Yet not I, but Christ. Father, help us to crucify ourselves with Christ. Not think more of ourselves than we should. Help us to see the need of the hour in our land. For truly, as that preacher said, we do live in desperate times. But Father, so often the challenge from that preacher is right. We're not desperate in our prayer. So Father, we long that you would move in our hearts first. That we would place Christ back in his rightful throne again. And that God you would set our hearts on fire again. That our hearts would burn within us like the two in the road to amaze. Father we pray that you would visit us even this night in our time of prayer. That, Father, we would know that presence in a sense that we have never felt it before. Father, we pray that as we come to you, that we would worship and adore you in our prayers. And, Father, we're an assembly with so many we need. And we thank you, God, that you love us and you care for each one. We thank you, Father, that even tonight we don't have to pray aloud for you to hear us. That you hear the prayer from the heart. So, Father, as we come to this time of prayer just now, O oh God, we pray for your help. We pray that we will know you're here among us and listening to us. And we ask this for your glory and in our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen.